I think for anyone who has been through the challenges of infertility and loss, the lasting impacts of this trauma on your body and on your life are not to be underestimated. But that's where these somatic practices, these healing tools that are offered within things like yoga, breathwork, meditation, this is where you can really make a difference as you're trying to conceive. Welcome to the In Your Element Fertility Podcast. I'm Jennifer Edmonds. I'm a yoga teacher, Pilates instructor, meditation and breathwork coach. And for the last 15 years, I've been helping women on their journeys to motherhood and beyond. This is the podcast that blends both science and spirit with everything you need to know as you navigate your fertility journey. If you're looking for a way to support your physical health, your mental health, reduce anxiety and reclaim some joy back into your life to make the process of trying to conceive feel easier, then you've come to the right place. I'll show you how to apply the latest scientific research along with your energy and mindset to provide you with all the tools you need as you're trying to conceive. This is the In Your Element Fertility Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the In Your Element Fertility Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back here with me. Today, we have a special guest speaking to us. Emily Romano is also a yoga and meditation teacher, but on top of that, she's a women's coach and she specializes in healing past traumas, rewiring your subconscious and using the practices of yoga and meditation to move on with your life. I think one of the reasons I really connected with the work that Emily does is, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, the trauma that I experienced throughout my own infertility journey, it stayed with me. Even years later, I noticed that it was coming up within my life in so many different ways, and I didn't have the tools to manage this or any kind of way to work through it. So the practices that she speaks about, I think, are going to be extremely beneficial if you feel that perhaps you're in that place of feeling stuck, you're triggered constantly, and you don't know how to move through this particular phase of your life. We speak about the way that trauma gets physically stored and trapped within your body, and also the difference between traditional talk therapy and somatic healing and somatic work, and why talk therapy isn't always the answer. We also speak about incorporating this idea of manifestation into your journey. And what I really love is how she links this to the piece about regulating your nervous system. So all in all, this is a brilliant conversation. And for anyone who is struggling in their journeys, this is going to be one you won't want to miss. So Emily, let's begin. Emily, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. It's so awesome to connect with people on literally the other side of the planet. It's amazing that we get to do things like that. Can we start by learning a little bit about who you are and why you do the work that you do? Sure. So I'm a coach and I primarily work with people who want to make their lives better and they are recognizing that there's something holding them back whether that's childhood trauma or relationship trauma or an unhealthy relationship with themselves so i'm a subconscious reprogramming practitioner mm-hmm. i use nlp techniques specifically timeline therapy and that's just basically deprogramming trauma from the nervous system I also do somatic healing. I teach meditation. I teach yoga. So I do a lot of things. 
And I feel like it all fits in beautifully with this kind of work as well. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the NLP training and specifically timeline therapy? Sure. Yeah. So when I first became a coach 11 years ago, I became fascinated with Tony Robbins and I would obsessively watch his interventions on YouTube and I wanted to learn, I wanted to be just like him. And so I started studying NLP 11 years ago. And then fast forward to a few years ago, when I had suffered a pretty severe trauma, I got help from an NLP practitioner to help uh, with some flashbacks I was having. And it worked so incredibly well that I went and I got certified. And then as soon as I did, I started implementing the techniques immediately. And it changed my life in such a profound way and all of my clients' lives in such a profound way. I think everyone should know about it. (laughs) So basically what we do is we first build rapport between practitioner and, and client. So make sure that the people that I'm working with feel really safe and comfortable and understood by me. And I like to induce a trance, which is a necessary component to this, And that's done with some guided visualization and some breath work and a lot of my somatic work. And then once the person is relaxed and they're in a trance, meaning their unconscious mind is taking over, we ask the unconscious mind to show us where these traumas came from, whether that's just a negative emotion like anger or a belief like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy And when we find the root cause of that in that person's history, we find out what there is to learn from it, to release that belief or that negative emotion. And we extract those learnings and then the negative emotion, the trauma or the belief will disappear permanently Mm -hmm. forever. And at the end of a session, that person's life has changed forever. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. Can we speak a little bit about the trauma part of what you just explained? And, you know, a lot of people, when they they come to me, they've been through traumatic experiences like loss of a child, loss of pregnancies, multiple losses. And, you know, when people think about trauma, they tend to think about people that have been through abuse or have been in accidents or have been to war, but we all hold trauma from our childhood. Can you explain how that happens and what some of those traumas when we are younger and how does this get stored in the body over time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So trauma is really anything that happens to us where we don't have the tools or the support to to handle it. So you got to think about the tools and support a three-year-old has If you're three years old and your mom forgets you at the grocery store or you're five years old and a kid pushes you off a bike, these things to an adult might not seem like that big of a deal, but to the nervous system and the internal resources of a child of that age, those things can be very, very traumatic, you know, and what happens is our our subconscious mind wants to keep us safe. And when something happened that overwhelmed us and we weren't able to keep ourselves safe, that creates a trauma. And so I like to use the example of, oh, 
just like a stove. Let's just, let's say I'm three years old. My mother is cooking and I walk up next to her and I touch the hot stove and I burn my hand. Well, that is, that's very traumatic because of how much pain there is. So that sends uh, my nervous system into, you know, fight or flight. Like there's been a threat detected. We got really hurt. Now, if I didn't learn after that, that the way to keep myself safe was to walk up to a stove and not put my hand on it, but instead, you know, put my hand somewhere else or to wave my hand over the top. If I didn't get those learnings from that experience, I might walk into a kitchen and like jump out of my skin because I still I haven't figured out how to neutralize or deal with that threat subconsciously. And the reason that it's in the body, when I mentioned jumping out of the skin, is because your nervous system and your unconscious mind are, are basically the same thing, and their job is to keep you safe. And they are incredibly good at pattern recognition. That's the best. That's the, the thing that they are the best at. So they're going to detect an environment that matches through sensory information, the trauma. So using the stove things that could match that sensory environment could be like a kitchen. It could even be the smell of food. And so if things in my environment trigger that memory from a sensory level, I might, you know, have a, have a response of jumping out of my skin. And that could be even before I'm aware that that has triggered me. So that trauma in my nervous system, my nervous system is going to react much faster than even my than my conscious mind can keep up with. And that often, mani- often manifests itself into holding tension. You know, a lot of people I see in my yoga classes hold a lot of tension in their hips. And the reason for that is because when there's a threat our primary um, defenses is to run away or to, or to fight, right? And for both of those, our hips are going to have to be activated. So sending energy to the hips to kick or to run. But the problem is we don't actually run or fight from many things anymore, not since <laughs> for you know hundreds of thousands of years. And so that energy gets pushed into the hips, for example, and then doesn't get released. And it just builds up as tension which then pulls on the lower back and creates lower back pain. And yeah. Mm, which leads into my next question. Whereas if you think about all of these things that have built up from a long period of time, especially since childhood, they're mm. going to have an impact on your body and your overall health long-term. Do you find that with a lot of your clients and your students as well? I find that the body, you know, there's a famous book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he talks about the way, I mean, the the body is the unconscious mind. So thankfully, we don't have to think about consciously whether we should breathe or not. We don't have to think about whether we should digest food. Those things happen unconsciously and they keep us alive. But your unconscious mind is also determining whether like it's, it's prioritizing, you know, so if your unconscious mind thinks that you are under threat all the time because you haven't you haven't really dealt with those traumas then you're going to be in what we call sympathetic nervous system state fight or flight like i was talking about before and the problem with that is that in order to rest 
in order to digest, in order to heal. You can't be in sympathetic. And so you have to be in parasympathetic. And when you are chronically in a sympathetic response, there are so many problems that come along with that. It's just a matter of time. Your immune system is not going to be tended to. You're going to have obviously muscle tension and tightness. And so, yeah, illness, sickness, pain, all of those things. Yes. Mm. And is there a difference between childhood trauma, whether they're big traumas or small, and the traumas that we face as adults? Are they stored within the body in the same way? And does our nervous system react to the memories in the same way? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we're children, we're learning what the world is. We're learning who we are. We're forming, let's just say, the foundation for what we believe about ourselves. And our brains are always in a very receptive wavelength state, theta or alpha. And that's the same state that you're in when you're in a deep meditation or you're uh, working with me in trance or you're, you're being hypnotized, whatever. And so when something happens at a really young age, it's going to create a deeper, longer lasting impression. And sometimes it's really hard to find that because it could even be before you were using language. We could have a trauma happen to you even when you're in the womb because your nervous system is is literally tied to your mother's. So when a trauma happens as an adult, it's easier for us to identify what that what that is. And you have the ability to sort of make meaning out of it. But when you're a child, it's just deeper. It, it gets buried deeper. But how it how it manifests in the body, I would say the childhood trauma is is also again, like it's more impactful because we are where our bodies are developing. Mm. And so if your little body thinks that it need that it's not safe and it needs to keep itself really small to stay safe, you might have someone who's like chronically hunched over, you know, subconsciously in an attempt to protect their internal organs. And then when you have that posture for long enough, your fascia ends up forming and, and it's and then you know, there's so many problems down the road. So the question that you asked, I think, was like, what's the difference between childhood and adult trauma? Childhood trauma is just way deeper, and it it also makes us more predisposed to have traumas as adults. I think that's a really good point to make, that, you know, there are all these things that have subconsciously been going on in our bodies for a very long period of time. And then when we do encounter traumatic experiences as adults, that's where things really start to come up and problems really start to arise. So how can things like somatic healing, some of the practices that you teach, How do we even start to begin releasing this trauma from our bodies? Yeah. So I would, the first thing that I want everyone to hear is that these things are morally neutral and making ourselves wrong, especially for having a trauma response. It just adds more suffering unnecessarily. So it's, it's sort of like, we'll call it the shadow, we'll call it the wounded inner child, whatever you want to call it. It's just trying to keep you safe. So let's try to be kind to it and kind to ourselves. How do we begin healing it? I would say that, you know, my, what I do with my clients when I first meet them is we go through a process of, of learning a toolbox of modalities that includes breath work, EFT tapping, which is using the body's meridian points 
to speak the, the problem out loud, to give it a voice as we're sending a calming signal to the brain. So those are, so EFT tapping is my absolute favorite somatic modality. And for anyone listening, you can go on YouTube and search um, EFT. That's uh, Echo Foxtrot Tango. It stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. You can go on YouTube and you could search Emotional Freedom Technique and then whatever you're, you are struggling with. So for your audience, you know, I'm sure there's EFT for infertility and EFT for uh, the pain of having a miscarriage. I'm sure that there's a lot of resources like that. So that's, that's the number one thing. Um, you'll be pretty shocked at how impactful such a simple practice can be. Um, another thing is to know is that when your nervous system is in, say, sympathetic because something has triggered you, your body, your physiology is going to reflect that state you're in. And then the thoughts are going to come to match. So your body is informing your mind more than your mind is informing your body. And the reason that that is important is because if we can change our physiology, we can change our state. And so when you become really stressed out and fearful, our primitive ancestors could have been in a similar state and they would have been chased by a predator. And in order to keep themselves safe, their breathing would have had to be really quiet and shallow. And that's what we do too. And so a way to sort of bypass this or hack it would be to take in really deep breaths and hold for a moment and then have a very, very slow exhale. And that's a way to get the nervous system to calm down. So right there, those are those are two tools that you can use. So those are the things that we use in like those acute moments where we've been triggered. But now we want to think about how can we prevent those triggers from happening in the first place, right? Like how do we become more resilient or less, less reactive? And the way that I like to do that is through timeline therapy, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Mm. I noticed when I was going through my own infertility journey, I went to a few psychologists and counselors to talk about what had happened. You know, I found it helpful. And a lot of my students say the same thing, but you get to a point where talk therapy doesn't really seem to get to the root of the issue. So can yeah. you explain a little bit about why talk therapy doesn't quite resolve these deeper issues that trauma has? left there and why it is so important to focus as well on the somatic healing sides as well. Sure. Yeah. So first I think that therapy is important and it's great. And like, I encourage everyone to go, but you know, there's only so far I can take you because when you're doing talk therapy, you're using your conscious mind, you're speaking about things. And that is 5% of the, of the mind because 95% of your mind is unconscious. Mm -hmm. Another problem is, is when you are talking about this trauma or these negative emotions, they go so far back. Mm -hmm. And if we don't attract, if we don't address the root cause, you're basically going to keep on getting triggered. So we can talk about the triggers all day long but you're, they're going to keep happening until you address the root issue that's underneath it. And in order to address that root issue that's underneath it, we need to figure out what that is. And it's really difficult to do that just by talking about it. And even if you were to be able to do it by talking about it, like, let's just say you have a, a trauma from, you know, an age that you actually remember, 
when you talk about it in talk therapy, you are being what we say in NLP associated. What that means is that as you are talking about it, your brain, your primitive part of your brain, your amygdala is for all intents and purposes, you are in that memory. It's happening to you right now and you're re-traumatizing yourself. And that was one of the things that I found to be such a reason that I really didn't even want to go to therapy. I'm like, every time I come here, I feel worse. You know, we're, we're talking about my childhood, which was painful enough the first time. And, you know, and now I'm here and, and I don't, and I'm, and I cry and I, and I'm triggered. But when we go into this state with uh, what we do in timeline therapy, we're in trance and we are accessing the memory from a place where we can look at it and we are not getting associated into it. Hmm. It's a little bit of a challenge to explain, like I, I can do it better with some visual cues, but, um, or visual aids, but basically what we're doing is we are number one, asking your unconscious mind directly, like where we need to go and your unconscious mind, because it moves so fast, because it has access to all the information will tell us immediately, like, Oh, we're going to go back to two years old. And it's funny. Cause I've never, I, I had so many clients and I was one of these people that said like, I'm not going to find it. I don't remember anything, you know? And then we go into trance and boom, here we are. Now we're two years old. Mm -hmm. And even though that memory is traumatic, that's why it got pulled up. We're not in the memory. We're not looking, we're not inside of it. We're above it, looking down on it. And we're pulling out what needs to be pulled out. And I'm watching my client's face. I can tell how they're doing. And if they do start to get associated, I move them around. I get them out of there. And once they have extracted everything that they need to, everything that they need to learn to keep themselves safe, remember the stove analogy, you know, I can stand next to it. I can wave my hand over it, whatever. Once we've extracted everything out of it, I will ask them, you know, do you feel angry when you look down at this? Do you feel sad? Are you scared? And the answer they'll say, and they'll sometimes I can tell they're a little surprised. No, I don't. It's gone. And then I have them go down inside the memory, inside looking through their own eyes and check if it's gone. Yeah. And 95% of the time it is. That 5% will go back up. We'll remove what else needs to be removed. And then we go back down and it's gone. And it, like I said, it's gone forever. So that is like... The anger and the sadness are, are the first emotions that need to be removed in this type of therapy. And that takes maybe four to five hours for me to complete that with a client. But four to five hours to remove a lifetime of anger and a lifetime of sadness is so, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, oh, it's it's phenomenal the way that it works. And, you know, it's you can't make the memories disappear and you can't make what happened to you go away, right? But it's this ability to be able to remember those incidences and not be triggered by them and to just yeah. know that they happened. But that was just a part of my life and it no longer has a holes or an effect on you. Is do you notice that's what happens with your with your clients? Yeah, I was talking to one of my clients um a few months ago and she said it feels like it's something that happened to someone else. Like I can remember it, but there's no emotional charge to it at all. And that's how I that's how I feel about my own work. I release so much trauma. It's like, yeah, you can remember it, but 
all the, if you think of a memory and you have a visceral embodied feeling come up in your body, like there's a, there's a trauma there in your body, in your nervous system. Mm -hmm. When you think of what you had for dinner two weeks ago, you don't have that feeling. It's just, you know, maybe you don't even remember, but like it, you can definitely tell the difference between a traumatic memory and a non-traumatic one. And through timeline, we turn traumatic memories into just, just a memory. Just into what you had for dinner two weeks ago. It's fascinating. (laughs) Can we move on to something else that you speak about really beautifully? And I know it's something you're quite passionate about, and this is incorporating manifestation into people's lives and into their journeys. Can you talk a little bit about how it fits within the nervous system regulation work that you do and how it is a big part of then getting to where you want within your own life? Yes, absolutely. So there's four requisites for manifesting, four things that we absolutely must do. And the number one thing is to be at cause. And what that means is it's the opposite of being at effect. So if I say to you that the reason why I can't have a new car is because, you know, no one gave me any money and, you know, it's just really hard for me. I'm a woman, whatever. I am giving excuses and I'm, and I'm being at effect. And if I'm at effect, I have no power. So the number one thing is to drop the victim mentality and take full responsibility for your life. And that's not saying that, you know, like, if something bad happened to you, you deserved it. And it's not saying if someone hurt you, it was right. What it's saying is starting right now, like I'm taking full responsibility for my journey and I'm fully at cause. So that's number one. Number two is you have to have a compelling future. And what that means is that, so a lot of us are spending our energy moving away from what we do not want moving away from our trauma, trying to run from trauma instead of moving towards what we do want. So we only have so much energy. So if we're spending all of our energy focusing on the past and what went wrong, we're living in the past and then we are going to create from the past. Mm. And that's what most people do. Like 90, like I don't even, 99% of us are just manifesting everything by default because we are manifestors. Like we are all manifesting everything. But like, if I believe, like to use the example I just used that like, it's harder for me to be a woman, like I'm not taken seriously, or I don't get as many opportunities. I'm going to have that belief that shapes what I actually see. So our unconscious minds are looking for information that validates what we already believe. And I will find evidence to support any belief that I have. So if I'm only looking at the past, I'm going to find things that match the past. I need to create a future so that my unconscious mind has the new job of looking for things that match that future that I want to create. The third thing that we must do is sort of a a segue from number two is like our nervous system, if it thinks that it's constantly under threat, like our, our subconscious mind is trying to keep us alive. Like that's its job. So we need to remove these traumas from the nervous system so that our unconscious mind can start to notice patterns that match what we want instead of what we don't want, right? 
a lot of people, when they do this work with me, they'll start to notice like repeating numbers a lot. And that's really cool, right? Like angel numbers and stuff. And they're they're like, what does it mean? And, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, but like not even touching that. What it means is that your unconscious mind has started to notice patterns of things that you want, not just the things that you don't want. And that's because we've, when you start on this healing journey, you're clearing some of your negative emotions, some of your limiting decisions. So you have to clear, just like we talk about manifesting with the moon cycle during the full moon, we release what's not serving us because if we're holding on to what's not serving us, we don't have room to take in what we do want. So clearing out what, what is running contrary to what we want is, is very important creating the future that we want to move towards is very important. Taking responsibility is very important. Those are the three things that are absolutely necessary. And then the fourth thing is you have to put yourself, you have to immerse yourself and and find models. So like my group coaching program, which is going to be starting in January, just, just for the purpose of helping people manifest things, because the, just taking a, taking a detour for a second, I started doing this work because I wanted to help people with trauma. What ended up happening a lot was people started manifesting crazy things. Like like they'd say, oh my God, like you're never going to believe this. Like we created all this stuff and it happened so much that I was just realized that, you know, there's really something here we need to explore more. So immersing yourself in a group of other people who believe what you believe because we create our beliefs largely based on who we're around so if you're surrounding yourself with people all the time who say like manifesting isn't real that's woo woo or like i'm a victim or like nothing's ever my fault or men are bad whatever like you are your unconscious mind is picking up and being influenced by all of that so you have to purposefully and intentionally immerse yourself around people and environments that includes the content that you consume that includes the tv that you watch like like immerse yourself in what you want vision boards are a great way to add that into your environment you know and like i said i think that having like a group like group coaching is incredible for that or working one on one with a coach to help keep you accountable and remind you of what you want and then I'd also think, I'd also add to that in the modeling piece is like working with someone like a coach like me, who is, who's a, who knows about manifesting and who's manifested so many things like my certainty in this process will help you have certainty in this process. But if you don't have a coach, that's fine. Just like put yourself around people who are doing the work, who are at cause, who are manifesting things. You can't expect to have an amazing life if, if you're surrounded by people who are living in the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so just to recap, number one, be a cause. Number two, create a compelling future. Number three, clear away your trauma, your negative emotions and your limiting decisions. Number four, immerse yourself and model people that are already having the results that you want. Hmm. I think that's one of the brilliant things about the world we live in at the moment is that you don't have to be physically with people who are in this same kind of mindset. You can find these people online. You can listen to podcasts that inspire you. You can find them on social media, follow accounts like yours that are uplifting. So I just want to point that out for people. You don't have to find actual people within your family or your friend group who necessarily agree with the path you're going down. 
Well, so when you do start doing this work, something shifts inside of you and likely you will stop being as relatable to other people because a lot of people will relate to each other through negativity. And what happens a lot of time for people that are doing the work, they have what's called a dark night of the soul where they have to shed, you know, like we talked about the moon cycles, a lot of, there's a lot of shedding, a lot of um, like a void between, you know, the person that they're letting go of and their new identity. So if that's, if that's happening to you, it's okay. That's a really good point to bring up. And I, I know for a lot of my students, you know, like most of them are, in relationships and obviously they're trying to have children and they do notice these shifts within themselves and they are finding it even hard to relate to their partner. How do you help people get over that aspect of things? How can you manage the people around you who don't quite get what you're going through? Yeah. So one thing that we as humans uh, have a hard time accepting is that you cannot convince someone to change people will only, they will only manifest to the highest degree of their own consciousness. Um, People, when you try to get them to change, you are uh, challenging their ego, their identity, and they will dig their heels in farther. So the only way that you can actually affect someone else to change is to be the shining example of that change, embodying it fully in yourself. Mm. Um, And the truth is, is that sometimes relationships are not meant to to last. Um, if you're finding yourself constantly misaligned with your partner, it, that like, there's no, it's not a moral failing to end a relationship. I, I think people, I think especially women need to hear that because I see so many women, I mean, even women in my own family, like they martyr themselves. Like it's, you know, I'm a good person if I stay in a relationship that's not serving any of my needs, because that's what my mom did. And it, that is so untrue. Yeah. So I guess if you if you want to positively influence anybody, throw away the idea that you're going to be able to convince them to change. Just toss it out the window. And instead, adopt the mindset of you being like a beacon of light that will attract people uh, towards you that want the change too. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way of putting it. And I find in a lot of cases, you know, you can for lack of a better way of explaining it, but kind of pull your your partner or your people around you into a space that's better for them as well. But sometimes you can't. And it is worth noting that that is sometimes just the way it is. I find that a, a lot of my students, when they are on this healing journey, they get to this stage where they think that they have to do all of the healing. They have to complete all of everything that they've been through before they can move on. I can't do this. I can't have a baby until I've overcome everything I've been through. You know, I can't find a new relationship until I'm completely healed from the last one. I find that that's not true. You don't have to be completely healed. I mean, I don't think any of us ever will get to that stage. So what What advice do you give to people that think that, you know, they can't move forward? They're going to be stuck until they're finished healing. Yeah. So I do know of one person who has finished healing and his name is Jesus <laughs> um, or Buddha, or, you know what I like this idea of like, I'm fully healed. As long as we have a human body, we are going to be attached to some bullshit period. 
like being a human is um it's a it's a learning experience from like the minute we take our first breath until the minute we take our last and we're always changing we're always evolving i think that it's a really wise person who recognizes that unhealed parts of themselves will negatively impact a relationship however this idea that you have to be reach some stage of perfection it's just that's setting yourself up for failure because that doesn't exist recognizing that you can do healing within relationships that you cannot do on your own. Because I'll tell you, you can say like, oh, I'm totally, I'm totally healed from my last relationship. Well, that's all well and good, but wait until you get into a new one because you're going to be triggered. And it's not about not being triggered anymore. That's not the metric for success. The metric for success is when I get triggered, am I able to move through it with grace? And am I able to spend less time in a collapsed or um, unresourceful state? So, yeah, you you got to keep living. You you can't you can't put that expectation on yourself. Mm, that is such a good point. Can we talk about this idea of being able to surrender? I think this is the hardest thing that my students have to deal with. How can I surrender into this knowing that I will be a mother one day? How can I surrender into knowing that my baby is on its way without having any physical proof? And Mm. I know this is one of the hardest parts of manifesting what you want in your life and being able to let the world around you unfold without being triggered by every little thing that happens. So how do you explain surrender to the women you work with? Yeah. So when we are manifesting, what we're really doing is we are embodying the emotional state of having it before we have it. And when we are triggered by anything in the pursuit of our goal, whether that's a baby or, you know, a million dollars, you are clearly identifying that you are in the energetic state of lack. You are in the energetic state of without right? And this is one of those things. It's very easy to, to like intellectually wrap your head around. Oh, okay. Like I, I don't want to be in lack. I don't want to live in scarcity, but how do I do that? Because that's the truth. This is the truth. Well, as true as it may feel and as true as it may be right now, like time is not linear. So what I invite anyone who's struggling with this to do is just imagine what it would be like to have that So I like to sit down. I I meditate every day. I teach meditation too. It's so powerful. But you could go on YouTube and search for a guided meditation or a manifesting. And um, just imagine a man of like, imagine in your mind, live what it would be like in your mind. And most importantly, is embody that emotional state of having what you want, right? And then let it go. Because here's the deal is that life is going to keep happening and things aren't good or bad. Things just are. It's your belief system that makes them good or bad. And if you can let go of things being like right or wrong, and you just allow things to be, including yourself, that's what surrender is. And that's what's, that's what grace is, you know, and, and grace comes, comes to people that are able to just have faith. Like, I have faith that things are going to work out. And that means that I can get to things working out and be anxious the whole time, or I can get to things working out and and be calm. Like if I'm going to get what I'm going to get, if I'm going to get there regardless, why would I torture myself with anxiety unnecessarily? Mm. 
That is such a good way of explaining it. Easier said than done, but it oh, is yeah. Yeah, practice, so. right? <laughs> Just lastly, you posted a video really recently about the beautiful chakra pictures that you've got behind you right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when people start learning about the chakra centers, they, they you know, and you learn about where there might be blockages or things that could be happening within your body, it really opens your eyes to things that you've been through and things that you are holding on to. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about each of the chakra centers and how we can clear blockages that might sit or how blockages get there and then how we can clear them? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you could use the chakra framework. You could use um, Abraham Maslow's pyramid of, of hierarchy of needs. But basically it's like, we can't get to the next level of our experience until we've sort of like dealt with or, or like mastered the, the one beneath it. So, you know, starting with with the root, which is red, connected to the, the earth, like we have to sort of exist, like like period, we have to inhabit a physical body and that physical body has to be has to be safe. If that's not taken care of, nothing else matters right? Like for people that are in that, like for someone who's in a, in a war zone, like they're, they're not concerned about like, Oh, I need to speak my truth. It's like, am I going to make it to, to the end of the day? You know what I mean? So that's the root chakra. And we can have a block in the root chakra if we don't feel safe. And that could happen. That could happen like growing up. Like if we didn't feel like we had solid ground, like we didn't feel like our family could take care of us. It just, it makes us feel really ungrounded and and unsafe. And, and when people talk about like, oh, like you need to do grounding, like, yes, you do. Because if you don't have that connection to the earth, like nothing can, can come down and you're just like, you're all over the place. For a grounding exercise, I like to do a, something called a Sufi grind. And by the way, I want to add this, is that this, this chakra system, think about it as like running through your spine. And if you want to have a straight current of energy, you have to have straight posture. You have to sit up straight. And that's hard for a lot of us, especially when we sit at a desk. So, you know, during a meditation practice, which, you know, is how we, we align the, the chakras, um, you want to have your hips a little bit above your knees so that you can tilt your pelvis forward a little bit, which will then allow you to have that natural curvature in your spine. And you want to feel as if someone is pulling your head, the top of your head up with a, with a string. So really straight spine. And once you have that straight spine, we're going to do a Sufi grind, which you would take your hands to either side of you as you're seated in a cross-legged lotus position, whatever. And you just start rotating around, around the spine. And I like to start clockwise and do maybe 10 to 12 rotations and then switch and go counterclockwise. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it would be to, um, I like to do a guided uh, visualization technique of grounding where you take a deep breath in and on the exhale, you imagine that there is a red cord of energy connecting you to the earth. And as you breathe in, you imagine that that red cord of energy is coming into the spine. And as you breathe out, you imagine that you're giving back to mother earth, anything that you don't want to take with you. And the earth, you know, transmutes everything, it turns dead leaves into soil. It turns, uh, it turns death into life. So anything you give the earth, she can, she can handle that. And then we move up to the, the sacral chakra, the, in the sexual organs and trauma here, a lot of times is, is sexual trauma. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean like 
you were sexually assaulted. Although I, unfortunately I'd say for, I, I, I have to, and I want to hear what you think about this. I've never met a woman who has not been sexually assaulted. Have you? In some way, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's a scale, I suppose, if we want to talk about that, but absolutely every woman I know has experienced some kind of assault for being a woman. Exactly. And so for most women, trauma here is like, it's not, it's just, it's not safe to be a woman. And that could also just come from like ideology growing up, you know, like, like I grew up Catholic and they're, they're real big on, you know, making you feel terrible about having any kind of sexual desires. And then that, that, that blocks this with shame. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a little bit of conspiracy theory about this, which is that I feel that because this is our, this is creation, this is the energy of creation. I think it might be intentionally blocked by powers of structure so that people don't know their own power. Good old patriarchy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also like why, like in in traditional marriage structures, women were sort of like bought and sold like cattle because they, because of this incredible power to, um, in the sacral, you know, the sexual energy. So yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons we can have blockages in our sacral chakra for men and women, but especially for women. Mm. So how to unblock it? Um, it's really just to give yourself permission to enjoy and to create. There's a book, a really famous book called The Artist's Way. And it's about unlocking your creativity. And she has a specific protocol for how to do that. It involves um, it involves writing, doing just like stream of consciousness writing. Anything that unlocks your creativity is going to unlock that sacral energy. And then there's yoga postures that you can do as well. Cat and cow, um, where you're sort of like thrusting your... <laughs> well, I don't know why I'm... See, I'm laughing when I say the word thrust. Like, why is that... Why is exactly. that? Exactly. It's not <laughs> yeah. even a conspiracy theory. It's in completely overt. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for whatever reason, women have been blocked. I mean, it's it's not that hard to figure out, I guess. But like there's also a lot of healers that will do like womb cleanses or womb healing. So in your community, I'm sure you can find someone who who does that. People use yoni eggs or um, yoni is the Sanskrit word for vagina, which is like a crystal egg that you would use. Uh, there's yoni cleanses. There's there's all kinds of practices. A lot of them have been hidden or, or are just sort of like taboo because again, like being a woman is sort of taboo. Like even talking about having a period, it's like, oh, so we need to take the how the power back on a collective level as women and unblock our collective sacral chakra. You know, oh, this is a story that I don't even know if I should share because it's it, it could make people think I'm a little bit out there, but no, but I'll just it out there. share with you. Yeah. So <laughs> so so I had this uh this relationship with um with the goddess Artemis, I was, I was learning about her and wanted to kind of work with the goddess energy because I had this revelation that like, wait a second, why are all of the, why, why are we only praying to like this one singular male God when throughout history, there's been all these beautiful goddesses. And so Artemis was one that really resonated with me. And then manifesting is crazy. So a couple months later, I got asked by my mother to go to Greece with my family 
And I said, oh, good, we can go to the Temple of Artemis. And she said, we've already got the itinerary planned. We can't go there. But then the airport in Athens is in Artemis, Greece. And there was her temple right when we landed. And I got to see her. And then um, we went to the Acropolis. And our hotel was overlooking, the balcony was overlooking the Acropolis right in front of the Temple of Artemis. And I was in my meditation practice. I meditate for like usually 30 minutes a day, but because I was on vacation, I was doing multiple meditation sessions and getting really deep. And she came to me and she said that, but I should preface this by saying at this time in my life, I was not on social media at all. I was afraid of being seen. So now that I, I, now it's sort of the opposite, right? Like, I'm like, Hey, everybody listen to me. So this shift was huge. Um, and it was in a full moon eclipse in Gemini, which is yeah. Anyway, so I'm meditating. She comes to me and she says, men think that power is overtaking an enemy or over or just physical overtaking. Like I'm going to take my physical force and overtake you by physical force. And that's this really silly idea that the masculine has about what power is, but what true power is, it exists in the divine feminine. And it's the ability to create reality from non-reality. That's true power. And you cannot create anything if you're afraid of, of being seen. Mm. And that was the moment where I, like, I came back from that trip and I started going on social media and I created a lot from that. Right. And I, I stepped into my power. That was me unblocking my sacral chakra. Mm. And I'm sure I still have more work to do, but that was big. Yeah. We all have work to do. And when you think about it like that, women do, we create life from, yeah. from nothing. It's incredible. And that it, is it goes cool. for so much of our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We are really, really powerful. And that power is is, is in our in our sacral chakra. And like this wild, sexually liberated feminine energy, like, like they used to arrest women for dancing. Like in some parts of the world, they still do. Like there's been a, like we were saying, like this effort throughout generations of 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 denying women their birthright and commodifying the uh, the childbirth process making it in the west making it seem like it's an illness and a disease like a medical condition instead of a miracle so yeah just there's a lot there for your audience specifically for the for the sacral and you can you know if you would like to get some wear some orange Orange crystals, like uh, I have this one right here. Um, I don't know the name of it. I wish I did. They but go to your little, yeah, that's I think that's what it is. Yeah. So you know, like, or maybe get in, like I said, like a crystal yoni egg. Like we have been all affected by this witch wound, let's call it. And all that a witch is is a woman who knows her own power, and a woman who uses the power of the elements: earth, wind, water, fire. And like herbs and stuff like that to to help her body sync with nature. That's it. That's what a witch is. And so, you know, we have to reclaim that wild, sexual, creative nature that has been robbed of us and indoctrinated into us that that's wrong. So that's how we unblock the sacral chakra. I'll just mm-hmm. talk about it a lot. Oh, it's a big one. And I think for women, it's the, the biggest, especially for people that are struggling with infertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then above above the sacral, we have the solar plexus. Solar plexus. That's about that's like two inches or so above your belly button. And this is our individuality. So individuality, ego, like worthiness. It's where we have a, a, a selfhood. You know, like if I don't believe that I'm worthy, I'm not going to be able to create anything because my my unconscious mind, right? we talk about that is going to block me if i don't believe i'm worthy if that if that belief is there then it won't matter what i what i can create i i just won't be able to because there's a belief system about who i am and in order to to heal from you know from any blockages there you really have to ask yourself like do i do i think i'm worthy am i shrinking myself down what do i believe about myself getting really you know, you have to sort of ask your shadow to come out and play with you. And um, shadow work isn't really fun. So, you know, your audience are people that are probably willing to do it because they're already in a place where they're sort of suffering. And suffering is like, let's not like take advantage of it because that's our opportunity to look at the things that are difficult and hard. And so many of us don't feel comfortable standing in our light. Don't feel, don't feel comfortable just having any sense of individuality. Like, where I'm from in Boston and I hope I don't make anybody mad, but like you walk around and everyone's wearing the same outfit, you know, it's like, everyone is like, I have to sit in, I have to fit into this box to be loved and accepted. I can't, I can't venture out the where, where's the, like, again, again, like how, how are you going to be able to create anything? If you don't even know who you are, you have to create from a place of worthiness. And so, yeah. And so doing, doing that is like a lot of self-concept work, a lot of unconscious work right here. Yeah. Um, next we have the heart chakra. Uh, the heart chakra is represented by the color green. And I want you to think about it almost like, like when you give a big hug, it's like, it's like a green, like energy that you could like envelop other people. And it's our connection to every living thing. And whereas the, the yellow, the solar plexus is like our connection to ourselves. This is our connection to everybody else. And that heart chakra is, it can be blocked by, by grief. It can be blocked by getting our our heart broken. It can be blocked by not feeling like love is safe, by being betrayed, whether that's by our parents being neglected, all kinds of like emotional injuries, anything that makes us feel like it's not safe for me to give or receive love is a, is a heart chakra blockage and grief lives in the lungs right behind the heart so we talk about the mind body connection a lot of times you'll notice that like when you have a blockage in a certain part of the body it will, it will correspond you know to the to the related health symptoms so heart chakra heart opening yoga postures would include uh like back bends like wheel or camel even downward facing dog because you're kind of opening the shoulders and you'll notice this kind of circles back to the physiology we were talking about earlier is the physiology of somebody who doesn't feel safe is going to be hunched over to protect their internal organs where the physiology of someone who feels confident and heart opened is going to have their shoulders back. Their heart is literally open. But if you believe you're under threat, you definitely don't want your heart to be open because that's the, that's the most vulnerable part of you. So Check your physiology, check and see if you have a lot of, if you have any lung issues coming up, that could be an indication that there's a 
a heart chakra blockage. Um, do you feel safe giving and receiving love hugs, you know, connecting with animals, connecting with nature, because nature is all living things like great ways to, to work with the heart chakra as well as any, um, green crystals. Um, yeah. So (laughs) that's the heart chakra. And then we move up and we have the throat chakra and the throat chakra is actually, it's the throat. I'm sure you talk about the, or maybe you don't, I don't know, but the throat and the yoni are of the same shape. Yeah. Yeah. So especially the jewel. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so this, the throat is about, is about speaking our truth and it's about, it's about actually allowing our voice to be heard, which again, like for women, and it's just, it hasn't felt safe. And so there's a lot of blockages. And um, if you were ever silenced, like if you were ever abused and you weren't allowed to speak about it, throat chakra blockage, mm-hmm. you know, if you were ever, you know, I was actually strangled by a parent when I was a kid, which was very deeply traumatic and like throat chakra blockage. The best way to work with the throat chakra is, is chanting mm-hmm. and singing. And for many listeners, they're going to say the, they're going to even think of the idea of chanting and be like, absolutely not. You know, that's ridiculous. And that just means that you need it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I chant as part of my daily practice every day. And you can, um, you can, you can use like, like Lakshmi. She is, a, she's a goddess, the goddess of, you know, abundance, you could you could use a chant for her you could you could use anything that you want even just like singing is is throat is how you're going to deal with the throat also you know as part of a back bend that's also opening the throat up um so all of those heart openers are probably going to be throat openers too mm. check in with yourself in what areas of my life am I, am I not speaking my truth in what areas of my life am I holding myself back mm. and you know the, we're talk I went from the bottom up which is the, you know, the, the current of, of say like liberation. But when we're talking about the, the current going downwards, the throat is where actual non-physical energy starts to get a physical form because, you know, when it's just an idea, although we could, we could put up a monitor on your brain and and measure it. And then it could have a, you know, it would start to take form in the form of a brain wavelength. When you speak it, it's something that our, our regular sense perception organs can detect. So that's where it starts to become a real physical matter in the physical world. And then we go down a chakra and it's like actually feeling that in our heart and then believing that we should have it, that we're worthy of it and then creating it. And then we see it to manifest. And that's sort of like how, how nothing becomes something, right? You move up to, uh, up to the third eye. And, um, this is our, um, where we have our visions, where we um, have our intuition, our ideas, ideas that we eventually speak, right? And this is, you know, we all have psychic abilities, every single one of us. Like, I know I just told you, oh, I just communicated with a goddess, like a very like, casual story, right? But <laughs> all of us have this ability. And Back to circling back to what we talked about earlier with the unconscious mind detecting threats. If you are so traumatized that your unconscious mind is spending all of your energy looking for threats, you're not going to be able to use your powers of intuition. Anxiety is threats. Intuition is 
kind of the exact same thing that the unconscious mind has detected a pattern or detected something, but instead of it sending out threat signals, it's just like, oh, hey, here's an idea. Here's, here's something that you should, here's like something you should think of. And the third eye, it's our, it's our pineal gland. And and the pineal gland is, it sits right behind like our forehead. And you see Hindi women, Hindu women wearing like a bindi right there. And it's, it's to mark that, that place that we are basically, it's our, it's our vision. That's not with our two eyes. It's, it's our, yeah, that's why it's called the third eye. And so if you start to get, you know, prophetic dreams, or you start to notice synchronous patterns, like repeating numbers or, you know, little things like your third eye is opening, there are definitely exercises that you can do to open your third eye. Things that would block it would include people telling you like, you know, when you're a little kid, people say like, oh, like don't use your imagination, use logic and reasoning. Or maybe you had a thought of like something and then someone gaslights you. You start to doubt your own, you know, inner truth, third eye blockage. So the pineal gland it's called a pine because it's it's sort of close most of the time, right? And if you think about a pine cone, it would open. And then that is where we get like your third eye is opening, your, your psychic abilities are opening. And you want to have that open third eye because the top chakra, the, the crown chakra, that's not even connected to our bodies at all. That is the universal field of consciousness that we all share and is accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get information, answers from your guides, answers from, you know, goddesses, if if you're of that persuasion, whatever, you're going to need to have an open third eye so you can get that information, speak that information, feel it, embody it, create it, and manifest it. Oh. Such a beautiful way of explaining it, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That was a lot. Sorry, I was talking for so long. No, it oh. is It is a lot, but it's so important. And when people start learning about the chakra centers, like I said before, it's really eye-opening. And, you know, especially that connection between the throat and the jaw and the pelvis and the pelvic floor. When we are little embryos in the womb, two of the very first cells that start forming are eventually going to become your pelvis and your jaw and then then obviously they stretch and separate but they're still connected by that fascial line so that connection never goes away and a lot of times I find that people you know have thoughts of not being heard not being able to speak their truth they do have sacral center issues as well and there is such a deep connection between those so thank you for pointing that out (laughs) yeah yeah Thank you for everything that you have shared today, Emily. I feel like I could speak to you for hours about this stuff, but if people want to learn more about you, where is the best place to find you and connect with you? You can find me on Instagram or on TikTok at uplevel with Emily. That's my handle. If you want to send me an email, it's uplevel with Emily at gmail.com. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time. I will put all of those links in the show notes as well. And I hope to connect with you again soon. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review so I can keep all this information coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, check the links below in the show notes to join me for more daily tips to support your fertility journey. 
And don't forget to visit my website to learn more about how the beautiful practices of yoga, meditation, and breathwork can support you as you're trying to conceive. Until next time, sending you all my love.